Hi guys, welcome back to Wildest Cricket Stories. I'm Craig. And I'm Carolina. And we're very happy to have you guys here again. Uh, yeah, I think uh, the last episode was a massive success. The first one with our, our first guest. Yeah, it was really awesome. I was so happy having Callum on because I think, you know, he's a very close mate of ours, but he is also, you know, in conservation, working in the bush. And I think that was a perfect first guest for us to have on to tell some really funny stories and to explain a little bit about what conservation is and, and how it kind of works behind the scenes. I think it was just also good to, to kind of have his story out and about. And I think he, you know, he's, he's come a long way in the industry. And um, Absolutely. It's, uh, it, it's great to have people like that that have worked as hard as Callum to get to where they are today. And hopefully we're going to bring more people on uh, to the podcast in the future that yeah. have very similar stories. Yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed it because uh, yeah, we've gotten some feedback and it seems like people did. Uh, and yeah, we're very happy with it. I'm extremely impressed. Yeah, I think it was really awesome. Yeah, it was. I think the funny thing was like having three people on. We had to like make <laughs> hand gestures to each other, like who's allowed to speak next. Raising our hand, kind of like a game show. I thought yeah. it was in third grade again. Um, just to not kind of talk over each other. But I think we handled it quite well. I think it was good. Yeah. Um, but definitely a learning curve for us. Absolutely. I was uh, very, felt a bit uneasy at times uh, having that third person there. Um, but yeah, because <laughs> we've gotten so used to doing the, just the two of us. Exactly. It but it was good. cool though, and I, I'm very excited to have more guests on. So if you guys have any uh, suggestions, we obviously have a list of our own of people we want to bring on. But if you guys have any suggestions, hit us up. Let us know if there's a specific person you would want us to have on the podcast. Absolutely, I think it would be quite interesting to hear from our listeners as to who who they think we should we mm. should interview. We've got a nice long list, like you said. Yeah, but it might be it might be interesting to see if um, they may they maybe have someone that may, we may have missed. Absolutely. Well, uh, I think we're gonna start the episode with bringing back the scenario again because we didn't have that last scenario. Time. What did I say? Scenario. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> scenario. Uh, because we didn't have that last episode because we had a guest on and we also wanted to like just fill out as much time as possible with just talking to him and and you know get his stories yeah. uh, covered and whatever. So we're doing that now. I think you're starting, Craig. I'm starting because you don't have one yet. You need to think throughout the duration of the episode of what yes, your scenario really, is. You're really outing me. I'm <laughs> throwing you under the bus. It's great. Um, so, okay, photographic guide as you are, Carolina. For those of you who don't know, Carolina is um, Wilder's Kruger Safari's photographic guide and our professional photographic guide. I've got a question from a photographic guide point of view. We've normally covered the scenario questions as when myself and Carolina were in the lodge industry permanently. And um, photographic guide on a vehicle with guests, um, you understand the lingos uh, in various national parks. And the guide turns to you and says, listen, we have two, two kind of unique sightings um, and two equally as rare. So you've got one, you get to make the decision, obviously. Um, you've got uh, a coalition of three male cheetah on the move in the north of the park and you've got um, wild dogs just about to get active in the southern end of the park but you cannot do both now what we both know what wild dogs do in the in the afternoon when they slightly start to get active they're probably gonna go hunting so let's just say they do get up and they start to go hunting where do you go and we're like in the central now, so yeah, equally you, as far to both. Exactly. You're, you can't do both. It's a very difficult one. I think 
not from like the rarity of the sightings because they're both very rare. Um, I've personally never seen three male cheetah together. So like that would be a draw card in that way. No, no, but no, 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 very special but not as special okay that's okay, what i'm saying okay, I'm so, i hear you but I, I i need to think not just like how special it is i need to think about like what's the chances that when we get there they're going to be gone because unfortunately the thing with dogs is that as you say they hunt and they move yeah. and they move very quick yeah they do so i think i'll probably go for the cheetahs because it feels like there's more, more... stability yeah even though cheetahs sighting. also move quick hey eh? they do they do so I don't know. It's it's a tricky one, but I think I feel like also the thing is if the dogs kill something, they they eat it very quickly and then they move on. Mm-hmm. They don't stay there. While the cheetahs would, you know, they would try to eat it as quickly as possible because they are very low down on the yeah. on the rank and whatever. Um. But I would I feel like the chances of them staying there longer and you having a sighting of them eating is bigger. Okay. Do you see what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because it'll take longer for them to finish whatever they kill if they do kill something. But yeah, you, you see what I'm saying? So I think I'll go for the cheetahs. You're going to go for cheetah. Interesting call. Hmm. Why Interesting. Would, would you go for the dogs? I, th- I don't know, actually. I think I just I just thought about it and threw it out there because it was actually an interesting one for me. I just wanted to see hmm. what decision you would make. Uh, I, don't, I, I really don't know. You know, it, it's a real difficult one because... It, like I said, it was an afternoon drive. You went active, um, and both uh, of them you can't view at night. Exactly, they've got incredibly sensitive. Well, without filters, but you a filter. Sorry for those of you who don't know. It's a something that um, it basically breaks the light of the spotlight and it makes it less harsh. Uh, it's really not great for photo- photographic um, sightings. I think you just need to explain here as well why you can't view them with a normal light. Oh yeah, of course. Sorry, it's um, they're they're not. Uh, nocturnal predators so they don't have nocturnal vision so the spotlight directly on the face generally hurts them as it does all even nocturnal animals you don't shine on the face but you can bounce the spotlight um, and uh, it, it, it they're both predators you cannot shine a spotlight on or a, a usual spotlight I don't even know the volts in in one no. of those standard spotlights uh, but it's something crazy so it, it's it, it kind of would feel like to the cheetah uh, or the wild dog, if you put a spotlight in your face, kind of... So you'd blind um, them while... Yeah. But something that's nocturnal is not as... Exactly. And they, they quite... Both of them are quite low-ranked predators. So you'd probably... Yeah, they you, you put them in a pretty tricky situation. They won't be blind forever. It's just that uh, you have a strong chance of damaging the eyes. And um, also the... Uh, they they can't go blind for X amount of minutes. So if there is another predator like a leopard or a lion in the area, they have a very slim chance of surviving that encounter because they can't see very well. Um, but now we're derailing. We are, we are. Would you go for the wild dogs or would you go for the cheetah? Whew, it's a really, really tough one. I think I, I, I'd probably go for cheetah. Um, I, I do think, and all the wild dog lovers out there are going to hate me, I think they're more photo, photogenic than... Um, <laughs> than uh, than a wild dog uh, don't get me wrong i love wild dogs i think they're absolutely amazing um and beautiful but i think a cheetah just one one ups them um uh, in the beauty format so if it was if i was if i was running a photographic op with guests that i've never been to africa before 
I would definitely go for the cheetah. I agree with you. As much as I love wild dogs, and I don't think they're not photographic, but but as you say, cheetah does one up, up them. And also the thing with dogs is that because they move so much, they are very difficult to photograph. Mm. So mm. it's a bit of a challenge. So I would maybe go for the cheetah where they might, you know, there's higher chances of them maybe sitting down and like yeah. you can photograph them sitting still while dogs are on the move constantly, which is super, super tricky to, to get photos. I also of. find cheetah always love to pose. Yeah, I, they absolutely. They love to find a termite mount and just sit up there. And uh, from a photographic point of view, you get those eye level shots uh, where dogs are, like you said, just constantly on the move. And they not dogs don't like to pose. No, they don't. They like to move past you. They they got so much, so much confidence. So you'll get a really cool sighting because they'll, if they've got young pups, they'll probably get inquisitive of the vehicle and start sniffing the tires and the exhaust and get really close to the car. They run straight past the car, but they're not gonna sit very still. No, and they, as you say, they're gonna run past the car and whatever, but then they're gonna get very close, but they don't pose really, and yeah. So I think just from a photographic point of view, I would go for the cheetahs. Three male cheetahs together. Is yeah, that's, quite, also, that's also know, That's very special. Um, but actually, on that note, guide tip. Mm. Um, if you're guiding in a reserve that does off-road and you have a pack of dogs that is mobile, please don't off-road. It's the worst thing you could do. Just go circle the block. I find so many junior guides that I, that I find in the reserves and they go screaming off-road for dogs that are so, so highly mobile that I'm just like, you're going to wreck your car, mate. <laughs> like, honestly, just go to the next block. They'll cover that thing in 30 seconds. By the time you're out the block on the road, they're into the next block. Because I wonder, like, while we're on the subject, uh, I think maybe some people will be like, what? You say, like, dogs move fast, but cheetah are the like fastest land animal and you know wouldn't they move faster but i think what we need to explain that yeah. those who haven't seen like wild dogs maybe is that the thing is dogs are endurance runners so yeah. like they go and they keep on running and that's actually how they hunt very similar to wolves they will just run and chase their prey until their prey can't run anymore but cheetah will still you know they when they're moving and not hunting they will still move not slow, casually, but they, casually. They, yeah, they they move they move with purpose, but it's not anything like off roading for cheetah. If we're going to go back to the guiding uh, aspect of it, off roading for cheetah is an absolute must. You know, follow that animal if it's relaxed enough. Obviously, all ethics must be followed, but um, uh, follow that animal. It's not going to cruise through the block. That, like you said, um, cheetah only move quickly when they're hunting and that's only for like 400 meters because their bodies overheat yeah so they like you know they can sprint but like dogs will like very often when you see dogs they will trot or run like very rarely will you see dogs just walking down the road yeah like if they if they are moving somewhere they trot there or run while a cheetah will walk until it like Oh, see something and that they want to, they want to hunt and they will stalk that and they will still need to get very close to that animal. It can't just run up to the animal. In, in but I mean, you think hunt. about it when we're following dogs, you know, in Kruger at the private reserves on some of our tours. Um, you know, if they're running on the road, you're generally going like 15, 20 kilometers an hour behind them. Mm. That's quick. Mm. That is quick. Um, Obviously not chasing them. <laughs> they no, run. we're not chasing them. No, no. <laughs> they run and we just we're follow. We're not herding the wild dogs. No. We're just following them. They're in front of us and we're just kind of cruising behind them. Yeah. Um, they usually don't at care safe at safe distance. And they, they, they're completely happy with us there. 
But yeah, it's an uh, interesting topic. Quite a long scenario today, but I think an interesting talking point. Yeah, I think uh, very, very uh, interesting for people to, to hear about. So what we're going to focus on today's episode, guys, is the best time of the year in Kruger. Because we have just come back from a Kruger trip for, um, what is it, three days? Mm. Three days? Um, with a couple of mates, we took a couple of days off from work. Um, we had a friend up that we hadn't seen for a while and, uh, we hadn't been in the area for a while and we wanted to really, um, just spend some time with him. So we took a few days off work to go into Kruger and what a trip it was. It was amazing. It was, you know, that's why we wanted to t- like cover this topic because this time of the year is my personal favorite yeah. time of the year in, p- in the park. And it really showed with this Kruger trip and I'll tell you more about that now and why i say like it really showed but i think it's also why i wanted to cover this is because it is a question that i get so much and i think yeah we get from clients that want to book like oh is this a good time of the year is this a good time of the year and what's the best time of the year for safari because it's also it is so different you know if you are coming for safari and game viewing only there this would be the best time of the year yeah but if you are coming because you want to see africa and you want to see some animals like then there is better better times in the year for like just in, enjoying a safari holiday <laughs> you, you see what i'm saying yeah there's a we often get I often get questions like uh i want to i want to go to i want to come to south africa i want to i want the best photographic opportunities i want to see lots of babies i want to see lots of flowers and i'm like all right pick one yeah. because that doesn't happen at the same time of the year. No. Um, so, yeah, it is. It's, it's just funny how there's something for every different time of the year. But I think from uh, ultimately game viewing and um, you know, photographics, mm. uh, I think this time of the year is definitely number one. Yeah, absolutely. Because So let's get into it. this time of the year is dry season. It's end of dry mm. season. So we're talking in the Kruger region now because it does differ we're not talking Sahara yeah. Desert kind of vibe, dry. No, no, but I'm also just talking the seasons. We talk, yeah. When we're covering the seasons now, this is this is Kruger. I know it's different in Tanzania that we were in a couple mm. of months ago and that I'm going to quite soon. Uh, there's It's different in other parts of South Africa. Of course. So we are simply talking about the Kruger region right now. And this is the end of winter and end of dry season. So we are just coming out of like kind of cold days and when i say cold it's not like european cold it's african cold which is like 15 degrees maybe five in the in the night yeah i'm wrapped up pretty well if it's below 15 yeah european people laugh at me yeah but it is but it does feel cold even even for me as european i feel like it is freezing cold when it is 15 degrees but in sweden i would have been you know out tanning anyway uh, so it is we've just we're just coming out of the cold and it's starting to get warmer and warmer like now we're having days of like 35 degrees and you know yeah. but in the evening it's, it's still kind of cold which is what i love about this time of the year because it's so like yes you get the toasty hot during the day but then in the evenings when it's time to sleep and whatever it's not uncomfortably hot to sleep like it's it's still nice and cool yeah, and yeah. it cools down quite quickly when the sun goes down and it's dry season. I've mentioned that about five times now, which means that there's not a lot of vegetation. 
so it's very easy to spot animals. Okay, easy. It's still difficult to, yeah, I mean, you know. That leopard sighting we had, how camouflage was she when yeah. we came in the gate? Like she was, and she was five meters from the road, yeah. just lying under this bush. And, and we yeah. couldn't see her until someone like literally pointed out like she's under that bush. And we're like, oh, I think we see spots. Oh, there. Yeah. One of those. But even, but yeah, so the animals are obviously still very camouflaged, especially like the big cats. But you don't have as much vegetation and gr- long, t- tall grass that they can disappear under. So they are easier to spot, which mm. means your chances of seeing them are better when they're not like right on the road. Absolutely, yeah. Which is what I love about this this time of the year. It's also very, from a photo- photographic point of view, I love the like beige vibe. Yeah, the colors. Yeah, because now this time of the year, it's, it's very beige, uh, kind of gray, which in one way looks a bit you know, boring or whatever, but I love it because I love that beige vibe. But to be honest, Carolina, I've I've been with you for almost five years. Uh, I've known you as a photo- your entire photographic career. I do know you do not necessarily like the color green. No, I don't. Um, and that's why you like this time of year, not I summer. Love, the funny thing is I love the color green for like clothes and whatever, but <laughs> in my photos, I, I'm not a big fan because I struggle to find the exact green that I like. Yeah, so it, it fits perfectly with Carolina's photography. Um, but yeah, it's also, uh, with regards to game viewing, it, it, it narrows down um, your search area. If you, this time of the year, work river lines, work water holes, because water is really, really scarce. So animals are going to congregate around water sources. And um, uh, I mean, like we saw, so you, you noticed when we were driving through those massive plain areas away, far away from water, we saw nothing um, because that's what happens at this time of the year. But as soon as you hit a river line or a, uh, a big dam, you just start to start, start to see uh, those big herds of wildebeest, zebra, even large herds of elephants and, and buffaloes. We need to talk about the buffalo population at the moment. Craig is very excited about Like, super excited about the buffalo numbers at the moment. But I'll talk more about that a little bit later. Yeah, sure. But I think that that just shows how, you know, this time of the year, it's it's a little bit easier to to find the animals because you, you know they're going to be around water. And the water is so scarce that you will most likely know where the only water source in that area is. And you can go to that water source and find the animals there. 100%. Um, I think most, most of these animals are, or most animals in Kruger are incredibly water dependent. So they need water to survive. All animals need water to survive, but people will be surprised. What our listeners don't know is that some animals are more water dependent than others. Uh, I'm not going to go into that list now, but, um, that can be another episode. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, water, where there's water, there's life. Um, and in summer, the only thing is there's just water everywhere and um, animals don't necessarily need to go. Yeah, so let's move into, because now we are just about to hit, you know, summer is, is we saying summer is almost here because it feels so hot now. Yeah. So we kind of saying summer is here, but but in in the Kruger region, we kind of say summer is here when the first big rains come. Yeah. And that is soon, in about a month or two. Well, we've technically had our first rains. Uh, we had 26 mils um, a week or so ago. And um, that's really good. But the first rains that fall, that 26 mils, because it's been so dry for so, much, so many months, that just goes straight into the soil. 
nothing it can it, it can really do nothing it's a great start because it wasn't too much too much rain start to get massive sheet erosion but we're not going to get into that conversation either sheet erosion means that a lot of like soil just disappears yeah. and, and like gets the, flooded into the rivers and the stuff top layer and that's a very very important layer for your soils but that's more of a it, conservation chat uh, <laughs> and uh, that's why you need it's it, it's quite important for your first rains to be quite a gradual rain and that's exactly what it was. So again, it's an exciting year for our first rains. But I think the the good thing, the important thing to mention as well is that we we were talking about you know we are talking about the Kruger region. But when it comes to rain, and we're not going to get in too deep into this either, but just so people can keep this in mind, when it comes to rain, the Kruger region gets rain very differently as well. So yeah. the area where we are in, and we got that nice rain that other areas of the park did not get that rain. Yeah, it's, it's uh, I think, um, further north. So we're in the south, they got 26 mils. And in the central, they got six. And then in the north, I think they got two or three. So um, it just shows you how that storm that came through really did kind of disperse and um, reacted differently in different areas. Mm. But we are heading into summer and... What will happen when the big rains come is that everything will just turn overnight. It's almost, but it, it feels like it. It feels like it just all of a sudden everything is just so green. No, well, I think after our next after our next big rain, um, just to kind of help Carolina there, what she was trying to say after our next great rain is how fast you can see the change. Is uh, you could probably put a if you if it was possible to put like a a time lapse on for seven days from that next big rain, you would be able to watch that time lapse and you would be able to see change just in seven days and almost to an extent of you not being able to recognize the area you were, you were in in it's summer so compared different. to winter. I, f- I remember also like when we were working in the lodge industry and we used to, uh, you know, you work at the six week cycles and then you went on leave for two weeks. Mm. We've spoken about that before. And when we sometimes came back from our leave, if we went on leave in like end of October until like mid- beginning of November or something, yeah. and they, we went on leave and then we came back and we couldn't recognize the area, yeah. like driving into the park, driving back to work, we couldn't recognize the area because it was just transformed. Well, sometimes I like after working two years in some, uh, on some properties, if I was, if I just missed that the, that kind of first rain gap or that big, that first bit healthy rain gap and I was on leave and I came back and suddenly it was looked like a different world. I would, I would generally get a little bit lost and disorientated even though I was like, well, hang on, I was on this road, but it doesn't look like that road. Am I actually on that road? And you start to second guess yourself because the entire area looks different with when the vegetation is flourishing. Mm, it's incredible. And I think this is, now we're moving into what summer is like in Kruger and and why that is also a fantastic time of the year because we we spoke about winter now. Winter is amazing, especially for game viewing, as we just mentioned. But summer is also a fantastic time of the year, but for different reasons. Yeah. And one of those reasons is how incred- incredibly beautiful everything is with the greenery and then the babies that you also mentioned. No, of course. I think like going back to winter quickly, you know, like uh, the best way I can, or a lot of guests have compared it to me, is the look of winter. If you look at like those big open plains at the moment that's got nothing on it, it looks like, <laughs> so I don't want to quote Disney, but it looks like the Lion King when Star, when Scar 
<laughs> takes over Pride Rock. That is so true. It does. And then in summer, it looks like when Mufasa or Simba was there. And that, that's kind of... And I've had guests compare that. Yeah. And um, it, it is. If, you wanna, if you're wanting like a, a rough kind of childhood memory kind of comparison, that, that, that is exactly it. And uh, then it just changes with just a little bit of rain. And, and it becomes that green, lush, you know. Oh, so beautiful. And like, like we said earlier, the babies... The um, baby impala, all the seasonal breeders give birth around December and Jan. And that is impala, warthog, wildebeest, um, zebra. No, zebra is not a seasonal breeder. They do like to, there are a lot more babies in summer than there are in winter. Um, but uh, nyala, also seasonal mm. breeder. But you, those are the, those are the three species that are um, key in Kruger that are mainly the seasonal breeders are the impala, the warthog. And the, the wildebeest. And often, you know, at the lodges and in, in the reserves, you would you would get so excited when someone comes back from drive and says, I've seen my first my baby. My first in baby impala. Yeah. We used to put money on it. Yeah. Um the guides used to be like, Okay, when do you think the first baby impala? But and generally then, if you want another guide tip, sorry, I don't wanna be that guy. But like generally if you could uh gestation periods, especially in herbivores in particular. So antelopes, for example, if um the gestation period is shorter than a year or can fit within a year. Generally, that animal will be a seasonal breed and give birth at in some point during the summer month just so um, there's enough vegetation for it to eat and produce milk for its baby. Mm. So. Yeah. That's the big thing, but it, it that's the thing. You would come back, guides would come back from drive and be like, "I saw my first impa- baby impala." <laughs> we were like, "Okay, summer is here," and also another big one would like, "Okay, summer is here." Is the woodland kingfisher? Yeah, it's a migratory bird, and that when it comes back, and they always call like crazy when they come back because it's breeding season for them and they breed here. So when they come back, you hear them calling everywhere. And that's also a big one when you hear your first woodland king, kingfisher. Yeah, I think the massive draw cards for summer months is uh, the babies, the greenery, and the birding. Because our birding population increases dramatically um, with all the migratory species coming back. And uh, yeah, some incredibly beautiful birds. And I think that I think a big thing to mention there as well is we, we spoke about how much easier it is to spot the big cats during winter and that... You know, it's easier to find animals and so on and so on. But it doesn't mean you can't see animals in summer. In summer, no, not you at all. You can have amazing sightings. I think it's just a little bit trickier. And, like, we've had incredible sightings in summer. Of, For of sure. All the big cats and, and, you know, almost all the rare species. And, and, you know, so you can still see a lot of stuff. But it's just a little bit trickier because you often, you'll often drive in an area that has like super tall grass and you'll be like, yeah, there can be a leopard lying under that bush there, but we can't see it because the grass is just too yeah. tall. And that, that is the risk that you kind of take in, in summer. Well, going back to that leopard sighting we had when we came in the gate, mm. um, uh, beautiful sighting, great sighting. Yeah. She got up um, and mobile and it was yeah, really she cool moved, to see. moved parallel to the road. It was great. But I mean, I back my eyes, but to be honest, if there wasn't cars watching her, we would have driven straight 100%. past her. And in summer, there was no way. We no way, no one would have seen her. No, no, no one would have seen her. So you know that's that's a thing, and and like Craig mentioned as well. Um, I think something very interesting from from this weekend was 
uh, we didn't see a lot of general game, even though in, we were in areas, we stayed at Skukuza for those who don't, who uh, know the park and who, who have listened to our episode where we go through all the, all the camps. And it's a very central part of the park where you often, you will see like a lot of general game. And mm. we did see a lot, but not as much as I was kind of expecting. Because as you say, we were sometimes driving through areas where there isn't a lot of water sources. So there was like no animals. So you could maybe, you know, you drive for a bit and you don't see a single impala even. And then all of a sudden you, you come to like close to a river or whatever. And then there's animals everywhere. And but the funny thing was also we had a fantastic morning drive where you you actually didn't come with because you were playing cricket, uh, yeah. which was also fun. But uh, we went on a morning drive and we had an incredible leopard sighting right next to the road of this big male leopard. It was amazing. And, and then we saw another leopard in a tree a little bit further away. So it wasn't as good of a sighting, but still awesome. Two leopards in one morning. Like that's really awesome. But we didn't see a lot of general game before that. And we didn't see a lot of elephants. And, you know, they popped up every night here and there. You're like kind of bound to always see elephants. Yeah, yeah. But we were quite surprised because it was one of those mornings where, and this is how the bush works, where we, we felt like it was so quiet and we didn't see a lot of general game or anything. And then all of a sudden, two leopards, bam. And, you know, <laughs> it, was, it was quite funny. I was quite jealous, um, but I did enjoy my cricket game. Yeah, and you guys That's won. Good. We did win. Yeah, that was awesome. We did win. Um, but back to summer and the summer versus versus winter I think a big thing for me that I think is important to mention as well is the bugs in summer <sighs> forgot about the bugs yeah that's why I love I love winter because it's a it's a more comfortable temperature even though it gets quite cold and then it's a bit uncomfortable but but the heat in summer can really get to you because it can hit like 40 degrees yeah. And then the bugs, especially like in the evenings, they can be really tough. Especially in the beginning of summer. Yeah. Not as bad in the end of summer. Yeah, it's, it's, and the humidity. Yeah. Humidity is crazy in summer as well. And I think that's a, it's just a good thing to, to keep in mind for people who are thinking about coming to, to South Africa and on safari. And that's why, like, please message us and, and ask us yeah. for recommendations mm-hmm. and so on. happy to help. Because they, these are the kind of things that you might not know if you, if you haven't been before. And summer is amazing and it is it is a fantastic time of the year but but it is humid it's hot and there's bugs but at the same time and you also get big thunderstorms so it's good to be aware that yeah there's, there's a risk of rain but when we say rain though like when it is rainy season it doesn't rain the whole day for like like it doesn't pour down for five days no it's not like monsoon season you no know? It'll you get like a big down. thunderstorm in the afternoon or the yeah. morning or something. and it's usually when we're on game drive yeah. <laughs> Great. I love that. I love going on game drive in the rain. I'm being sarcastic, of course. And you're in a closed vehicle. In a closed vehicle, then it's fine. Yeah, that's um, fantastic. I love but it. But yeah, that's, that's the, also the most frustrating. It's those persistent guests that like, you know, you're going to see absolutely fuck all on game drive. <laughs> and it's because it's going to come down in sheets, like 30 mil downpour. And they're like, no, let's do it here. Let's still go. And you know what? In their defense, they have paid a lot of money to do it. But... Sometimes just listen to the professional. I love the the, the best ones are the, are the English. They are like, this is nothing. This is nothing. And I'm sitting there like just water dripping off my you're face gonna, and wet clothes and just hating life. You're going to hate me for saying this, but also like I have heard about guides who've seen all the big five on a rainy Oh, no, don't get me job. wrong. So this is this is probably one of my like my best stories. Miserable as the day is long. My guests... We went out, it wasn't raining. I said, guys, it's going to start raining. Like, no, 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 Craig, we're going to do it. I was like, even if it rains. I said, yeah. So I was like, okay, cool, we're committing. 
we cannot make a decision. We can we have to commit or we can hang around this area a lot. No, Craig, we're committing. Off we go. And far away I can, from the lodge. Far away from the lodge. We went west. Lovely. Great. As we get like west, we want to start working some lion tracks that I left that morning. Clouds open, starts bucketing. Craig, we didn't know it would rain this much. Let's go back. Okay, great. Driving back, but now it's pouring with rain. Now I'm like, I'm done. Like I'm negative. I'm very, very negative. So I'm driving back in the rain and guess what's sitting on a termite mound. Like probably I can see the lodge. There's a little leopard. Uh, the Mvula male and um, he was just sitting perfectly on this on this termite mound. And, and, and Mvula doesn't that mean rain? It means rain. <laughs> Ironically. Yeah, that's it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, so that is summer. Uh, it is also a yeah, fantastic time of the year, but it is, I, I, I prefer winter. I do. Yeah, absolutely. I think, you know, we're just photographers and we like to get good shots. So, and, I think and that's cameras it. doesn't do well in the rain. So. Yeah, <laughs> terrible. Terrible. <laughs> So talking a lot about rain and so on, obviously the rain in summer is very important because, and as you say, it's also important like how it happens. You don't want too much rain in the beginning and then not enough at the end because the rain that comes in summer needs, needs to sustain the whole ecosystem system through winter and the dry season. But there was a couple of years where that didn't happen. We didn't get enough rain in the summer season to sustain us, us through winter, which is what we call a drought and you want to talk a little bit about how we now have actually recovered from our most recent drought yeah i think um i was just actually it was a topic that i just popped into my head while we were driving through crew and i said i got excited about the buffalo numbers because i hadn't seen so many buffalo herds and so many big herds of buffalo yes we were around the river lines which probably uh, was the main reason for seeing all those buffalo herds because they're bulk grazers so they uh, they need to be, and they're incredibly water-dependent animals. So they need to be where there is water and accessible um, grass. But having seen, I haven't seen that many buffalo herds in the Kruger for years. And it was a population, it was it was a species that's population dropped dramatically in the drought. We had, But with that being said, before the drought, the population was an overpopulation. So it just showed you that the drought was necessary and actually regulated the species because now they're at a healthy number again. But going back to drought recovery itself is that we have, with with all these animals looking healthy, you know, I was looking at the buffalo herd and that's the first thing I've done because I've worked most of my career during a drought recovery period where you get to this time of the year that we've been talking about, which is this this late winter just kind of before the beginning of summer and you look at that and you look at their body condition and uh, you can tell the ones that are not really, that they have a strong chance of not making it, this hip bone starting to push through quite a bit, their rib cage being seen and you can see that they're starting to struggle a bit. Those are generally older individuals. Now you saw it and they like, you looked at them and yes, they were. And those were, that, the ones that you saw, you were like, oh, that's just old age, you know? But you weren't seeing any young, fit, strong individuals that were lacking body condition, which means that there was nutrients in the vegetation or in the grass content that carried through winter. And that, as a conservationist and a guide, is amazing to see because it means that we it, it, it is possibly officially over. I'm sure there's a scientific 
kind of date as to when we would be over and we need to go through a couple of things. But in my personal opinion, the, we have officially recovered from the drought um, that we had between 2014 and 2017. It just shows you that drought recovery period is actually quite long. And um, it, it, like I said, it's just happy for me uh, to see that we have recovered and see that the animals are actually looking healthy throughout the entire duration of winter. Yeah, you see a bit of loss of body condition, but that happens in winter no matter what ecosystem you are in. Yeah, you get older individuals that just yeah. can't make it through and, and so on. That's that's kind of... That's life. That's, that's how... That's, that's nature. Yeah, absolutely. No, very interesting. Yeah? And I think, yeah, it was, yeah, like I said, it was just very, very cool for me to see and I was getting very, very excited around all the buffalo herds and I was just pointing out to everyone saying, look how good they look, look how good they look. They look so healthy, they look so... And um, it, it, it's quite, it's a rarity um, to see them look this good at this time of the year. I do love a buffalo herd as well. Yeah, yeah, you know, to just sit in the middle of the buffalo herd and if you switch off the engine and you just hear them kind of those those grunting sounds and them calling each other. Also, like, buffaloes are the, you know, the kind of animal that I have huge respect for where, you know, um, you sit there and you're in a vehicle so you know you're safe and whatever, but you look at these things and you're like, you look like a big cow, but you could kill me. Yeah, and they've got that look, you know, they... And yeah, you know that if looks could kill, you know, there's an old guiding saying that also makes it's a bit, it's a bit cringe. <laughs> it, it it goes, a buffalo looks at you like you owe him money, and it's true. If you if you ever come to uh, to Africa or South Africa and you look at a buffalo and it looks straight at you, they look grumpy, and they are they are they the one of the most dangerous animals to come across on foot in um, in South Africa. And, We've all had, I think, most guides or most walking guides that have enough experience have had their one or two uh, change your underpants kind of scenarios with a buffalo bull. Um, because it's not necessarily the the herds that are a problem. Approaching herds on foot are fine. It's, the, it's those old males that are quite insecure that they're no longer with a larger breeding group. And they're the ones that uh, you really need to be careful of. Yeah, and they don't really give a warning, hey, from what I've understood. I think that's the big thing, is um, the lack there of warning sign. You know, they pick up a scent that they, they don't really enjoy and they run kind of straight towards that scent. And they, you always see where they come and they lift their, they lift their snout and their head and they're trying to pick up the smell as to where they're going to go. And um, that's kind of it. And uh, buffalo are known to, in, in a way, stalk yeah, so you'll come across buffalo bulls, they'll look at you, start approaching, you'll back out quick enough, walk a kilometer out, sit down, calm your guests, and you'll get up and ready to go, and these things have tracked you down, yeah. because they've been following your scent to try see what you are, well, a kilometer may be an over-exaggeration, but a, a fair distance away, they will follow you, and that's the, that's the scary thing of the buffalo, and you come across them, and they show intent to intent to harm, um, get out of there and don't stop until you know you are a, a safe distance away because they will follow you. And for those who don't know and maybe think that, oh, but they're just big cows and they just look like big cows. No, they, they're not. No. They're not just big cows. Just go Google like buffaloes versus lions and you will, you will realize like they yeah. are huge animals I mean, you... and they are like... Fierce, or can you call it yeah. fierce? Fierce, yeah, they are, and they're what they're a thousand kilograms, you know, mm. plus minus, and 
And they can kill a lion. Like they deal with the horns, you know, mm. and they fight back. And they're one of the few. They're one of the few animals uh, that defends each other. Mm. So you'll have a lion pride hunting a a buffalo, a straggler out of the herd, and you'll find the whole herd will come back, try to chase the lions off the buffalo, and um, like Carolina said, go and YouTube some of these clips because they they are quite remarkable at like the buffalo trying to save their own so to speak and i think a bit uh, one clip that we can really recommend is the uh, battle of kruger there's so much going on there. there's <laughs> so much going on in that clip just go youtube that the battle of kruger it's a transport dam hey transport dam yeah, yeah and it just shows you how incredibly strong these animals are and how they fight back and they can yeah you um, know survive almost anything yeah i don't want to spoil it too much but there's no uh, go there's, watch there's, it there's some um, some pr- pretty intense lion uh, buffalo fighting and throw a crocodile in there as well. And, yeah. And you've, got a, you've got a real, real interesting video. Yeah, no, very, very cool. Carolina, you mm. have a scenario for me. I do. Do you? I do. You've got one. I've got a scenario for you. Fantastic. It's a funny one. Ooh. Yeah. So, okay. It is... Early morning. How early? Like, let's say 4.30 because it's summer and the sun is rising 4:30. early. 4.30. I've got up at 4.30 or I'm going into the lodge at 4.30? You're going into the lodge at 4.30. So I've been up at 4. Yes. You, you ju- sure, you're yeah. just about to wake your guests up. Yeah. And, and the thing is, the guests said the night before, they said, you asked them, okay, do you guys want to go on game drive tomorrow? Like, same time. What are we doing? You know, just checking in with them. And they said, if it rains, we don't want to go. But if it doesn't rain, we want to go. Because yeah. it's their last day. Like, they haven't seen leopard yet. So you really want to show them a leopard. And you want to try to, that last chance of finding them a leopard. But now there's this tiny little drizzle. A tiny little drizzle. Does it count as rain? Or is it going to stop in five minutes? Do you go and wake your guests up and say, you know, it's a bit of a drizzle? Or do you leave it and risk that they are going to be upset that you didn't take them a game drive because when they wake up, maybe the rain is gone. I think in a situation like that, just a little bit of drizzle, has got to wake the guests. I mean, that's... It's not, it's not enough. It dep- actually, it depends if, the guess, if I like the guests or not. <laughs> like, if, I, if they were horrible people... So any, any, of your, <laughs> any of your former guests that are now listening to this and, you, and they're like, Craig didn't wake up as that one morning. Oh, shit, he didn't like us. No, man. It's in a little drizzle. Like, if it was a little drizzle, um, actually, you know what, to be honest, always, whether I like someone or don't like someone, you know, you're there to do a job. You know, you're paid to do the job. And sometimes we don't like doing the job, but we have to. And I've always strived to be as professional as I possibly can be. So I talk a big game here. But I would love to have not working guests. If it was like, <laughs> just a little drizzle, I'd be like, nah, fuck you. Um... But uh, unfortunately, I, I never did that. I'm sure. I'm sure we could have some couple of guys on here that have. But answer to my question is always wake the guests. Um, you know, even if they roll out of bed, um, it's their last drive. If they swear at you for waking them up, cool, whatever. Cheers. You get in your car later. Mm. Um, but most guests, uh, you just chat to them there. You say, listen, there is a little bit of drizzle. What do you want to do? I go back, have my second cup of coffee and uh, see if they show up. Mm. If I really don't like them, I go back and wake them up again and say, have you made your decision? 
But if I like you, I'll, yeah, if I, I'll wait for you at the lodge and just take the hint. And after 40 minutes, you're not coming on drive. <laughs> Again, I'm kidding. Okay, cool, cool. Sounds good. Mm. Good answer. Thank you. I thought so. Quite professional. Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, a slightly shorter episode um, this this time around. Are you sure? You did talk for long, eh? Not 45 minutes, eh? Mm-hmm. It's not bad. But normally we're like an hour. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. When we have a guest on, it's an hour. Yeah, when we, we're lacking. When we have lots to chat about. We're yeah. lacking. We need, a, we need to find 15 minutes somewhere next time. <laughs> um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Uh, a little bit about the seasons in Kruger and, and why we prefer winter. So to just give a final answer and to summarize what we've been talking about this episode, I do want to say when people ask, okay, what's the best time to come? I would say September, October. Yeah. Uh, even You could even stretch that into the beginning of November. Mm. Um, even like August and June, July is also good. The problem with August is it, it depends who you're dealing with. So Europeans, August is fine. But like some, if, you, if you've got Australians and you're dealing with August, it's freezing. It's very cold in August. Oh, for them, you mean? Yeah, so mm. it's cold. So some people don't like the cold. Yeah. Um. But yeah, August is still very good game viewing. Um, but I would say absolute prime where I'm giving game viewing a ten out of ten. You're looking at October, uh, September, October, and beginning of November. Mm. Beginning um, of November is a bit of a risk one because you could get early rains. You could get early rains. Well, October you could get early rains. I mean, mm. there's a lot happening with climate change at the moment. So, um, but we yeah, I would say hundred percent September, October, November. Mm. cool there you, there's your answer that's the best time of the year to come to Kruger National Park there you go guys and that's us guys thank you so much for tuning in and uh, listening to myself and Carolina chat endlessly as we yes. always do <laughs> hope you guys enjoy it and you know uh, we haven't mentioned before but if you guys do enjoy the episodes please rate us it does help us out a lot and, and send us a message uh, with some feedback if, if you guys have any because uh, it's good to hear from you guys and hear that you're enjoying the episodes Cheers, guys. Have a good one.